I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley and I'm not the Prime Minister. I know, I'm sorry to bring this to you. However, I have an important announcement to make. A new dawn has broken, has it not? Well, everything else in this country seems to be broken. I've just been to Buckingham Palace, where the Queen was out, but I met some nice tourists and had my photo taken with a man with a big furry hat on. And I've been asked to form a new kind of radio show. And I accept it. I do so with enormous and enduring gratitude to have had the opportunity to broadcast to the country I love. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. And where there is disco, may we bring the funk. And we begin fighting the burning injustice that if you're vaguely interested in politics, you're supposed to know or care what a spad is, or a senior source, or a Sir Humphrey. If you're a normal person, you are much less likely to know that a Whitehall Mandarin is not a posh orange. If you're at a state school, you live in dread that one day one of your classmates will run to become a politician and make out that you spent the day eating crayons and thinking the Oxbridge was how a cow got across a river. My mission is to make radio that works for everyone. A one-nation programme that brings you disunited kingdom every week Political news, yes, from the four corners of the UK. When it comes to analysis, we will bring you people who know what they're talking about. Respected people, senior people, serious people, like Finkelvich and Night at the Marriott. I want more people to listen to PMQ's Unpacked, where we pause the action live every week to analyse the key exchanges in real time. And thanks to whatever gigabit broadband is more of you can now watch it on the youtubes your indispensable half hour news bulletin the midday update will update you yes every day at midday the midday update and we will round things off by playing our hugely popular quiz can you get to number 10 it's the quiz that Rishi Sunak ran off from playing because he couldn't get to number 10 This is going to be hard and difficult work. Never mind the backstop, the buck stops over there. You don't want someone telling you what to think. I won't tell you what to think. I don't know what I think. You want to keep up to date, but you find the news depressing. You think about tuning out. I say no. Do not tune out. Retune. Retune today. Retune to Times Radio and I will bring you politics without the boring bits.
Right, coming up on the podcast in just a moment. Liz Truss heading to Balmoral to see the Queen, but how does she get off on the right foot with the monarch? And how does her in-tray compare to previous Prime Ministers? A cracking panel, Hugo Vickers, the biographer of multiple monarchs and historian. Uh, We've got uh, Anthony Seldon, biographer of multiple Prime Ministers, and Kate Fall, David Cameron's former Deputy Chief of Staff. Uh, They're coming up on the podcast in just a moment. But first, as ever, it's Tuesday. Embrace yourselves because they're a bit grumpy. It's... Meet the Cerberus of columnists. The Janus of journalism. And the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Finkelvich with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. And what a glorious day it is to be joined by our two favourite columnists on a Tuesday morning. Morning, Danny. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. Uh, morning, David. Good morning. Oh, you know, no, no, no snide comments from you, David, today. You're so you're so giddy with the days. No, I, feel, I, I, I think I feel like a lot of other people, which is I just so battered about the head by you know here he is outside Downing Street and now oh now he makes a turn back to his wife Carrie and walks back past the. Uh, I can't stand days like this. I really can't. <laughs> well, Nobody says anything even remotely intelligent because there's nothing anything remotely intelligent for people to say because nothing's been done yet. Well, and so we're all kind of forced into this business of, you know, what's he, is he really going to stay? Is he really not going to stay? Is he going to kind of come back and so on? How do we read the runes? Uh, and I have to say, I mean, call me bad temper, and I know you will call me bad temper. You're bad temper. Just kind of. Well, it's 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 like listening to endless stuff about Meghan Markle. It's pointless. It doesn't get you anywhere. I do I do feel a little bit like you know when you when your kid has a goldfish and the first uh, goldfish dies and it's like a tremendous ceremony and then the second goldfish dies and by the time you're on your sort of fifth or sixth goldfish you're not using quite the same amount of ceremony. Uh, we seem to be res- we, we seem not to have done that. I mean, I do think it's time for it's a moment for the Conservative Party to reflect that it got elected uh, only in. Um, 2019 um and it's now you know it's now changing the prime minister and um having already done that during the uh 20 uh 2015 parliament uh that it went to the country proposing uh, a prime minister that it then decided uh it it wasn't willing to sustain um and I did think it was interesting that neither in Liz Truss's speech yesterday nor in Boris Johnson's today was there any hint of it so behind David's um you know um uh, kind of uh, amusing reflections that he's battered about by it. I do think there's actually a serious point um, for Conservatives to reflect on. Uh, you can't keep selecting people. You don't have enough confidence to sustain for more than a year <laughs> or two. Well, let's uh, just because, I mean, I didn't want to, but David insisted we played a lot of clips in Boris Johnson's speech. So let's <laughs> let's reflect a little bit on what it was that he had to say earlier on this morning. Uh, oh, this, this, is, this is Boris Johnson in Downing Street. In only a couple of hours, I will be in Balmoral to see Her Majesty the Queen. And the torch will finally be passed to a new Conservative leader. The baton will be handed over in what has unexpectedly turned out to be a relay race. They changed the rules halfway through, but never mind that now. Never mind that now. Um, it, it goes to show, uh, Danny, that he, he hasn't really come to terms with the fact he thinks he's been treated very unfairly by his yeah. his colleagues 
let, let's let's make sure that we understand what we're assessing here. We're not assessing a speech that is designed to appeal to me with my strong disapproval of his actions at the end of his premiership and my agreement that it was time to remove him. He's not also trying to appeal to David Aronovich. Uh, if you were to sort of uh, describe, to use uh, Boris Johnson's job description, it would be the prime minister who removes people like David Aronovich and Danny Finkelstein from power. That is the kind of <laughs> mandate that he was receiving. So you wouldn't expect us to approve it. And I think if you step back from that, it was pretty effective. It was punchy. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, it shows why he uh, got to that position in the first place, why he was able to appeal uh, to a certain kind of voter and a certain kind of uh, conservative. I, you know, for me, um, I would say I didn't, I thought that beginning and in fact how it continued was insufficiently reflective on his, the failings of his term of office. But I suppose he would respond. It was the moment for him to talk about things he think he did, he did well. Um, we don't. Uh, we don't need to sit through all the uh, the got Brexit done stuff and the vaccine and Ukraine. So we're familiar with all that. But this, this is one of the sections that, that stood out for me. This is a tough time for the economy. This is a tough time for families up and down the country. We can and we will get through it, and we will come out stronger the other side. But I say to my fellow Conservatives, it's time for politics to be over, folks. It's time for us all to get behind Liz Truss and her team and her programme and deliver for the people of this country. Politics is over, David. Yeah. If you have to, if, mean, if you have to urge your colleagues to get behind the leader, it, it might suggest that there's an acknowledgement that they're not currently all very enthusiastically doing that. Well, I don't... I... <laughs> The problem is, um, I don't actually think they have any alternative but to get behind Liz Truss and whatever mm. it is that she decides to do. And they will do that, I'm sure, with a kind of, as uh, firstly in the first instance, with a kind of smarmy job-seeking alacrity um, that will surprise nobody who's watched them over the course of the last few years, uh, uh, really, but certainly over the course of this uh, election victory. The point about the Johnson speech is it's delusional. I mean, Danny wonderfully <laughs> understates that his, it comes has no recognition whatsoever in it of his part in his own downfall. Um, no kinds of regrets. There is absolutely no attempt either to bind the nation in any kind of a way and say, I want to reach out to you at this mm. point. I know this. I know that. And if Liz Truss continues in the same kind of boosterish, kind of unrecognising way, then in that case, a significant proportion of this country, and I suspect even a majority, will simply feel not reached out to by this incredibly um, arrogant political party, which has clearly been in power for far too long now. Um, only the kind of self-immolation by the Labour Party in the past uh, and, the uh, uh, and the kind of, if you like, the kind of resonance from that uh, looks at all uh, likely to save it. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't um, disagree with that in essence, because I think that's not reflecting on why he removed Roffice, though I kind of understand why he didn't on that occasion. It, uh, what Liz, Liz Trust not doing that yesterday was a far more serious matter, and I, and I agree with that. Mm. Let, let, let's first of all say that the, the truth is that kind of unctuous seeking for office the moment some <laughs> has fallen is something that besets all political parties, not unique to the Conservative Party, nor is supporting leaders that who were not uh, manifesting not to be trusted with the job, but were elected by the members, even though you didn't disapprove, you know, even though you didn't approve them. So th these are not things that are unique to the Conservative Party. But nevertheless, you know, my hope would be the Conservative Party would be able to reflect on that uh, uh, and rise above it. And I and and it's a signalling uh, 
failed failed to to do that. I, you know, look, you can't blame Boris Johnson for trying to talk about the things that he felt he did uh, he did well. Uh, but if the Conservative Party proceeds not appreciating why, I mean, by the way, it itself lost confidence. Its own members of Parliament lost confidence in the leader of the party and felt he had to be removed. Uh, didn't reflect on why that happened. Didn't think. Doesn't think about what it needs to do differently. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things that struck me about that phrase, politics is over, uh, is that it, it, it assumes that all politics is the politics of the Conservative Party. Politics yes. obviously is over. You can choose between Conservative Party and someone else. Uh, yeah, not yeah. to let that in your discussion of politics seems to be uh, incredible. And while it is true that... Um, they don't have in Keir Starmer the, the you know, the, the, one of the great leaders of the 20, 20 and 21st century. It would be grotesquely to underestimate uh, what he's managed to do in terms of uh, recentering the Labour Party and making them electable. To think that all politics is just about what happens in the Tory <laughs> One yeah. thing I, I want to bring in uh, Patrick McGuire in a minute. Um, just, but uh, let's just listen to the uh, voice. Inevitably, you know, there were some jokes as well. Uh, let's take a listen to this one: the Dylan, the Dylan the dog. Thank you to everybody behind me in this building. Thank you to all of you in government. Uh, thank you to everybody who's helped look after me and my family over the last three years, including, including Dylan, the dog. And uh, Dylan the dog, if he said a Dylan the dog and Larry the cat can get on, then so can the Tory party. Patrick McGuire's here. Patrick, the point that you, you were making to me earlier was that um, he can at least make a speech. You do listen to what he says and engage with what he's saying. Yeah, even if you think it's the sort of speech... Uh, a bore in the saloon bar of a golf club would give. It is at least engaging and um, there is a recognisable strain of humour in it and he is an engaging speaker, um, which you can't say as much as she's improved over the course of this campaign about Liz Truss. Just compare her flat and stilted delivery in the QE2 centre yesterday um, with that free-flowing, rather chaotic, but still, you know, it is funny and delusional, as Quentin Let's put it in his sketch this morning, um, and it... As like him or hate him, you still engage with the and you still and you still listen. As tedious as it is, that sort of sub Woodhousean uh, crack is to many people. Uh, Liz Truss just didn't doesn't give you. Anything. There you are, David. David, you're going to miss him. Uh, me? Yeah, you're going to miss no, him. No, I've had enough of it, and I've had I've had enough of all this public schoolboy nonsense. I really have. I'm too old for it now, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't work on it, and it doesn't and it doesn't work its charm on me, etc. Even the code of the Worcesters can pale upon you, uh, pale on uh, after a while. Um, you know, you know. I, d d d sometimes I listen to us talk about this, uh, and I do kind of wonder who else we've been talking to out there in the country, as they say, um, in terms of what they think and how they feel and how they they respond to it. Uh, and I don't mean. I mean, this is very commonly said about uh, Boris Johnson. You know, and of course he's all charming, etc. But it's enough now. It's enough now. We've been governed by this kind of thing for too long. We need a change. Yeah. But you thought you thought that the the, the the counter to that, David, is you thought that at the beginning, right? So uh, <laughs> it, it was enough after what thirty seconds. The 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 um, the truth <laughs> is it isn't it isn't designed for you. So let's first of all say on this subword Hassian stuff, and you know he he he's a very clever wit. 
Uh, and I know that because both you and I are newspaper columnists. We were newspaper columnists at the same time as Boris Johnson. And you have to reflect, Boris Johnson was unbelievably successful in reaching to his audience, in speaking to his audience, in in, appear, in his appearances on the media to promote the political views he expressed yeah. in his column, in leveraging that into becoming a serious member of the parliament, becoming prime minister. That is incredible talent. And I'll never, you know, you mu I, I, I mustn't forget it, but yeah. it's just... You know, the truth is, it's just not necessarily for you, and certainly towards the end, it certainly wasn't for me either. Uh, it's not not my no. style, and that's why I but didn't the different, do it. But people but, do like some people do like it, and it's no, not. No, I agree. I agree. I agree, and you're absolutely right. But the difference is this: whereas I might have liked it less than a lot of people in the past, I now like it no more than most people do now. <laughs> In other words, well, what, yeah, what the, things the, have the nation have finally come around to your way of thinking, David. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Say that. <laughs> well, I do. I do think that's important for the Conservative Party to understand, which it doesn't appear to do. Right, this view that. Um, David is expressing exactly was, you know, a sort of minority view of Boris Johnson, and now is a majority view of Boris Johnson, and the Conservative Party is carrying on as if that hasn't changed fundamentally, and it has, and. Uh, you know, the point, the critique that some people were making of Boris Johnson, which is he didn't follow the rules and, you know, he made his own uh, made his own law, effectively. Um, that was regarded as a bit po-faced. And eventually the public began to think, actually, it's not po-faced. We share it too and we think it's important. Uh, and that is a big change. And if the, as I say, I was more, con I understand Boris Johnson defending Boris Johnson. Of course he would. <laughs> Let's try, you know, that, that people do, right? And I'm sure I would in those circumstances too. But it's a bit, it's a different. Liz Truss had more choice. And I thought she chose to talk to the party in yeah. terms of talking about Boris Johnson, not to the electorate. I think that is not what the electorate's thinking. And as she doesn't need to do it again, I wouldn't if I were her. Well, that's what's finally then. Let's, let's look forwards then. Uh, briefly, your advice from both of you, your advice to Liz Truss on what she should do today, David? Resign. <laughs> that was very brief. No, 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 seriously, no, no, no. She, we know what she's going to do. She's going to do a big um, F off uh, package uh, on energy costs this week, which is by far and away her biggest uh, thing to do. Thing to do. That package will um, significant is necessary, but won't actually win her. I mean, it's, it's necessary. It won't win her huge political plaudits, except from the people yeah. who already are inclined to like her, because it's the it's going to look like the minimum you had to do in order to save people from complete disaster. And Danny? She's made the big choice of her government. She's decided to be uh, the prime minister of the right. That's not a choice I would make. I don't think those people will end up trusting her. Uh, I think she's right to uh, create a government of the people that she's, you know, of the group that she's chosen to go in with, rather than a broad-based one, because you need to have your government and cabinet behind what you're trying to do. And she needs to give the, the country, and not just the Conservative Party, a purpose, not just say um, the purpose of this government is to win the next election for the Conservatives. Why does a non-Conservative or somebody who's, who's exactly. who, who doesn't who doesn't have a party care about that? Yeah. That was the end of her speech. She should give a country a purpose, and that can't just be getting through the next few weeks, however important getting through the, the next few weeks is. So um, develop and articulate a purpose for her government as well as deal with the emergency in front of her and get a cabinet that shares it um, you know my regret i think liz truss is actually quite a clever person i've always personally liked her uh, she didn't need to make the choice 
to be the leader of the right. She presumed to, to do that to win. They've chosen her because they had nobody else. I'm not sure they trust her. Uh, so she's made the big choice, which I think is an error. Uh, and now she has to double up on it, I suppose, and see it through. Daniel Finkelstein and David Wanovich then. Of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just go and get yourself a subscription. There's a sale on at the moment, actually. If you're listening to this on the day the podcast comes out, you can get three months for a pound. And who doesn't want that? Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, the Queen and her Prime Ministers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. So, Liz Truss touching down at Aberdeen Airport this morning. She's on her way to Balmoral, where she will be invited formally to form a government by the Queen. Only then will she be able to do this. Her Majesty the Queen has asked me to form a new government, and I have accepted. I have just been to Buckingham Palace, where Her Majesty the Queen has asked me to form a new government, and I accepted. I have just been to see Her Majesty the Queen, who has invited me to form a government, and I have accepted. Yes, so shall we... uh, The Queen's 15th Prime Minister uh, during her reign. So how does Liz Truss manage that relationship? And how does her premiership, as it gets underway today, fit into history? Well, we thought we'd speak to some people who really know. Royal biographer and author Hugo Vickers joins me. Morning, Hugo. Good morning. Uh, great to have you with us. And uh, Anthony Selden, political historian and the author of, well, many books, The Impossible Office, the history of the British Prime Minister is probably the, the, most, uh, the most relevant here. Morning, Anthony. 
How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, Hugo, um... Is she... Is she... Sorry, go on, go on, Anthony. Well, I was going to ask uh, whether she's still Prime Minister. Um, they come and go very quickly nowadays. <laughs> as far as we know, Liz Truss is still there. You don't need to rattle out another book on the, on the shortest uh, premiership ever. <laughs> um, uh, Just checking. And is that C- C- Catherine Hatton's there? Catherine Hatton there uh, as well from... Uh, Kate... Kate Fall, from uh, the former Deputy Chief of Staff, David Cameron. You're there on College Green as well. Are you there, Kate? I'm here. Hi, Lovely. Matt. Good to speak to you. Good to speak to you. <laughs> Hugo, uh, explain for us. Uh, just give us a bit of a potted history of the uh, the Queen's relationship with Prime Ministers. And what does it well, take for Liz Truss to get off on the right foot today? Well, I think it's really interesting. I, I hope the Queen is... Um, aware that her first prime minister was born in 1874 and this prime minister was born in 1975 which seems to me an extraordinary span i know that we only hear things about how the queen gets on with her prime ministers from the prime ministers themselves we never hear it from the queen (laughs) however um, blair did say that when he went there to to buckingham palace obviously the queen did actually sort of drop in the line that uh, of course he hadn't been born when she came to the throne well you know, Liz Truss was born two years before the Queen celebrated her Silver Jubilee. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I, I think, uh, of course, p- people talk a lot about the, the what actually happens. And I, I can tell you that when Anthony Eden went along to Buckingham Palace in 1955, when Churchill finally agreed to step down, they had such a good conversation that he began to wonder whether she was actually going to ask him to form a government at all. And there came a point in the conversation when he said, well, ma'am, at which point she said, I suppose I'd better ask you to form a government. <laughs> anyway, it always happens. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at a stat that the uh, when the young Elizabeth became queen in 1952, she also inherited, if that's the right word, a prime minister of Winston Churchill who was more than twice her age. At this time round, she's more than twice Liz Truss's age. I just wonder whether her, her role has gone from being someone learning about the, the role of the state to actually being a such an important part of the state because of those weekly audiences where the Prime Minister can go and sort of offload all their woes. And lots of them in the history have said, well, it's about the only conversation they be, can be confident isn't going to leak, that actually her role as a, as a I don't know what you call it, a sounding board or a, a, or, or a, a source of guidance has, has sort of grown over the years. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, Churchill, when she first came to the throne, um, he he said, oh, she's just a girl. But actually, very quickly, he discovered that they had lots to talk about. They used to like talking about racing, for example. But he, <laughs> he loved his meetings with her. And of course, he was a great um, guide to her sort of grandfather type of figure. The Queen is um, actually blessed with an incredibly good memory. And I think that's one of the things which has served her so well as a constitutional monarch. Um, so, she, so if a prime minister goes along and says such and such a thing is happening, she can always say, to them well steady on this is what happened in 1958 and that's how we dealt with it then they don't have to listen to what she says or do anything but they would be very well advised to because as you say she's very wise she's acquired a lot of accumulated wisdom because she's been well informed for over 70 years let's bring in uh, anthony selton uh, now anthony your your reflections from the sort of the other end of the telescope a bit as a as a biographer of so many prime ministers what what do they what what do they need to do to get off on the right foot today uh, well, not uh, promise too much and not be jerky and not shoot from the hip. But uh, I've seen it all because the first book I wrote was about Churchill when he came back into office in uh, 1951. And now uh, writing about Boris Johnson at the end of that 
uh, period. And of course, Boris Johnson, as uh, Churchill's biographer, sees himself as coming back into number 10, possibly several times. Who knows? Um, and look, most of them get it wrong. I mean, every prime ministership ends in tears. It starts in tears of excitement and joy uh, and ends in tears of recrimination, bitterness, sorrow. Um, so you've got to say, you know, why has the office become impossible? It, it's because of the way that they do it. Now, I'm standing next to Kate Fall, who was there with David Cameron. David Cameron had a really good number 10 um, and a really good relationship with his chancellor. Um, so did Tony Blair. So did Thatcher. Every successful uh, prime minister has a really good number 10 full of people who actually know the way that Whitehall, uh, the politics, the government work. So that's a really important start. Um, and um, you have to just take it gently. She has to be very honest, as Churchill was, uh, with the British public about how difficult it's going to be uh, and realise it's a long game. Difficult for her because what she really cares about, of course, they all do, is winning her own election mandate. But maybe, yeah, but she made clear, yes, they're probably not until 20, uh, 2024. Um, uh, let's bring in Kate Ford then. From your perspective, Ford, you were Deputy Chief of Staff for David Cameron. Uh, Anthony's saying that the, the, the operation in those days was very good. I mean, certainly from my experience on the outside, compared to what followed, it seemed at least slightly more efficient and professional. What does it take to make sure your number 10 machine is working properly? Well, you have to have a team who trust each other, so you're not reading about everything like a soap opera every weekend. That's an important first point. You need to be able to shut the door and really argue out very, very difficult decisions, which Liz has in her intrigue by, uh, by the million, and, and really know you can, uh, you can thrash that out in, in privacy. So competence, efficiency, trust is absolutely key, because number 10 is there to support the, the Prime Minister and help them run the country and, and create the right atmosphere for good decision-making. And if it turns into a sort of soap opera, those, decision, those good decision-making um, decisions aren't made. So that, that's the first thing, Matt. And um, what about the interaction between Downing Street and Buckingham Palace? Uh, how, who manages those relationships and how important was it for David Cameron going and having those weekly audiences with the Queen? I think it's very important, reassuring and, and, and of course an honour for any Prime Minister to go and see the monarch every week when, when, when she is in, in London. But that side, of the, that side of the relationship is very much operated from the officials in Number 10. And the principal private secretary goes with the Prime Minister every week and normally sees their opposite number, um, the, the Queen's private secretary. And as much as I think some of our, our political staff would love to have been invited to join <laughs> and go in the car uh, and ours to Balmoral, um, we never were. And that's probably quite right. Probably quite right too. So we're just seeing some live pictures now. Boris and Carrie Johnson uh, arriving at Balmoral, uh, just going through the uh, the gates of the armed police uh, on the outside. So Bo Boris Johnson has now made it to Balmoral for his last audience uh, with the Queen. Uh, but by that measure, I think Liz Truss is probably a couple of hours or at least an hour or so away yet uh, from uh, having only just touched down in uh, in Aberdeen. Um, Hugo Vickers put I'm not certain Boris Johnson go on, will go on, think go it's on. the last audience. Well, I'm not certain <laughs> Boris Johnson will think it's the last audience, uh, by the way, but just throwing that in. 
Uh, yes, certainly a speech this morning suggested that. Um, Hugo, explain why the Queen is at, at Balmoral, why Balmoral is so important to her. Well, the, the, the Queen loves Scotland and that is her, her summer home. She doesn't go abroad. She goes to Balmoral um, usually um, the end of July and she stays until October. And uh, it's the one time of the um, year when, uh, certainly when she was younger at any rate, where she always said, you know, she can sleep in the same bed every night. She's not moving around the whole time. Of course, I think that the palace made a bit of a mistake by suggesting that she might come down to London to see the Prime Minister. I didn't see why she should at the age of 96. Um, Edward VII uh, got uh, uh, Asquith to come all the way out to Ritz. It took about four days out of his life when he became Prime Minister and he ha wasn't allowed to um, name his cabinet until he'd run it past the King, which was quite interesting. <laughs> um, but she loves Balmoral. It's a very relaxing place. I mean, she's, she's um, always loved it. And, you know, I think Actually, I think rather exciting for Liz Truss to go up to Balmoral, be the only prime minister ever received there, you know, um, uh, as a new prime minister to to be asked to form a government and makes it unique, doesn't it? We've just seen Boris Johnson getting out of his uh, out of his big on his Land Rover type thing uh, at Balmoral, uh, tucking the shirt into the back of his trousers and his in the way that he does. Um, where do you think Boris Johnson fits into the uh, all of the, the the prime ministers that have gone before with the with the Queen? Uh, uh, Hugo Vickers. Golly, well, I think she's had some very distinguished prime ministers in her time. And, you know, when you look at the fact that Winston Churchill served in Queen Victoria's army and the governments of sort of Edward VII, George V, Edward VIII, wartime prime minister to George VI, um, Anthony Eden, whatever you think of what happened at Suez, was a man who could speak, you know, Persian and Arabic and Russian and French and collected wonderful pictures and was a was a very, very well-read person. Um, you know, the calibre of the, I don't know, Anthony would agree with me, or the calibre of some of these um, prime ministers later on seems to be somewhat lacking in my view, but I suppose that's something to do with the sort of people who go into politics. <laughs> but also, we got off onto the bad foot. I mean, talk about Balmoral. Almost exactly uh, three years ago, uh, in, 20, in the summer of 2019, it was Jacob Rees-Mogg who went to Balmoral and asked the Queen to prorogue Parliament, and that set in train... Quite the kerfuffle over that autumn period. Yeah, he was absolutely um, more than happy to go up there to to do that. And of course, he's a rather recognisable figure. And of course, he was soon spotted. And I think there were then some leaks from number 10 or somewhere um, as to what was going on. Um, so, you know, when people say people have been saying to me, well, why should Liz Truss have to go all the way up to Balmoral and shouldn't she get on with running the country? First of all, we've had weeks of indecision when nobody's been running the country at all. One extra day won't matter. And besides which, I think, as everybody has been saying, you know, it's an honour to see the Queen and the Queen is 96 so you go to her you know and uh anyway that's where it all starts yeah, it all starts from there um kate lots of discussion about just how bad uh the mess is that liz truss is inheriting uh whether it's the political mess of all the shenanigans of the last uh seven or eight months uh within the conservative party the fallout of party gate and so on uh, the economic mess uh the 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 cost of living crisis the rate of inflation and most pressing of all, of course, are the energy bills. It's not a... I mean, David... Part of me was thinking, David Cameron's inheritance in 2010 wasn't exactly a bed of roses either. No, it certainly wasn't. I mean, I remember the, the day that we sat there having not quite won the election 
um, turning on the television and seeing um, sort of riots in Greece um, with, the, with the financial crisis really sort of digging in. So it wasn't a, a, an easy time at all. But this, this is a huge um, set of issues for Liz. And, and one thing, Matt, I'd, you know, I think would be very interesting to see this afternoon is whether she is able to pivot from being very sort of party-focused um, and sort of talking not just you know, to the core, but to the party, to the nation, because she is the Prime Minister of the country, not just a Conservative Prime Minister. And I, I would really like to see some of that language coming, coming from her. And also it'd be interesting to see too if she's able to put um, forward a package later this week which shows that she is able to come up with some solutions straight away to these very, very difficult problems. It's interesting that that point that you make, and lots of people seem to be saying this, that, that, that if yesterday was a day to talk to the parties, a day is, is a sort of a day to, to speak to the country uh, and to remember you are the Prime Minister of the whole of the UK and not just a Conservative. Um, uh, uh, Anthony, put into context, some historical context, of all the Prime Ministers that you've, you've looked at, how bad is Liz Truss's intray compared to others? Well, it's worse than uh, any going back to... 79. I mean, I think we all tend to exaggerate uh, the problems, but uh, post-COVID, I mean, that was a huge hit, wasn't it, to the economy and to the health service and with Ukraine, which we don't know how that's going to pivot, and with coming out of the EU. I mean, those are destabilizing factors uh, that we know of. Another potential destabilizing factor, Hugo Vickers mentioned there, the trip by incoming Prime Minister Asquith in 1908 down to see the then monarch Edward VII in Biarritz in the south of France. Uh, he died two years later. Uh, I'm sure Her Majesty will live for a lot longer than two years, but it's a reminder uh, that she is 96. When she goes, the linchpin of the United Kingdom will be plucked out. Uh, as if she doesn't have enough um, on her plate anyway. So you can, can't precisely say, people have been saying it's the worst inheritance since Clement Attlee in 1945. That's tosh, because the Second World War w was so massively uh, destabilising. Uh, but it's certainly uh, as heavy as within living memory. And Hugo, your, your reflection on, on that? Well, I think that the Queen is about the last unifying factor in this country. I mean, she's extraordinary. If you listen to her speeches over the years, it's all to do with conciliation, um, realising that you can't change um, the past, but you can build bridges towards the future. And, of course, I think that perhaps one of the most important things about the meeting today is that Liz Truss cannot be Prime Minister until she has had this meeting with the Queen and it reminds us of her very important part in the Constitution. Um, as you know, when she goes to the state opening of Parliament in the days when she did, um, she reads a speech written by the government. Perhaps the most important thing that she says is when she wishes, you know, um, God's counsel on their, uh, God's, you know, blessing on their counsel and, and goes away. But and nothing becomes an act of parliament until it's been signed by her, which means lots of people see it along the way. So she's a very important part of the constitution. And she's an extraordinarily important part in our national life. And we need her more now than at any other time. Perhaps, well, no, perhaps that's going too far, but we certainly need her very much at the moment. It does feel like that, that her role in that was obviously brought up in the Jubilee celebrations as well, that, that her, her role in the sort of nation's psyche at a time of crisis the last couple of years, the pandemic and now what, what's happening with the economy, that, that she is such a central part in all of that. Um,
Kate Fall, um, lots of comparisons. Liz Truss, is she the new Margaret Thatcher? She does all those stunts and then says she finds it annoying. I mean, clearly it's interesting. She is the third female prime minister and all of them have been conservative. No, I think, I mean, that is something that the party should be proud of. And, and I, I feel sort of proud of it as well, because when I came in to work for David Cameron, we had something like 17 female members of parliament. And there was a sort of very um, disturbing picture of the Blair Babes when he won that election. Um, and there were all these 101 Labour female MPs against our tiny, tiny group. So we've come a long way from there, but also, you know, great to see another woman prime minister but I, I do think this sort of comparison with the next Thatcher is, is, is overdone I mean every time there's a new male prime minister we don't all compare them to the last however many because there's so many I mean Thatcher was of course uh, known to be a conviction um, politician I think one of the interesting things on a sort of Liz does sort of put forward uh, uh, herself as an ideological person and it will be interesting to see won't it Matt whether she actually is more pragmatic at heart um, and we've already got a hint of that with, with her coming up with an energy um, solution for us, which, which she said she wasn't necessarily going to do. So let, let's see how that rolls out. Um, what about your, your take, Anthony? Is she the new Thatcher the new, or the new Theresa May or, or, or a woman of her own making? Uh, well, she obviously wants to be a woman of her own uh, making and she has to uh, learn... Uh, to be um, a more, um, to, to reach out more to people. I mean, there was a lot that Boris Johnson, we easily forget, did get right. I mean, he was very good at communicating. It's an essential skill for a prime minister. Um, and she has to be less brittle. Um, and she has to talk about I um, uh, a lot less and, and we a lot more. Yeah. Um, it's a very different, you know, it's part of that stepping up, isn't it, from being head of a, a, a faction, a tribe, to being head of the whole country. Um, and whether she can really do that with conviction. I mean, Thatcher had, you remember, a voice softening um, and was encouraged to, to, to come across in a way that was more empathetic. Uh, to people. She'll need that not the least if she is to uh, take the Tory party to an unprecedented uh, fifth election uh, victory on the trot. Um, so she's got a lot to learn and as Kate Paul was saying who wrote a brilliant book called Gamekeeper about uh, one of the best books ever about the way that number 10 works. Uh, she was saying you know it's hard to, to, to be what you want to be when you've got to have so much in your uh, on your plate. Uh, it's hard to find any space at the bottom of your plate uh, where you can actually be the person you want to be. Uh, Kate, <laughs> Kate smiling there at the plug for her book. <laughs> Thanks, so, Anthony. Yeah, exactly. But quite right too, quite right too. And Hugo, just on the Margaret Thatcher uh, comparison, clear up for us the relationship between Margaret Thatcher and the Queen as you see it. Well, I always think that it's been um, made bad by things like the wretched series The Crown where they mocked the whole thing. Um, the Queen is always very supportive of the elected Prime Minister, or the chosen prime minister, because she knows that she is there by hereditary right and they are there by because people want them to be there or the Conservative Party does. So she will always be very supportive. James Callaghan said she offers friendliness rather than friendship. And I think if you want to see really at the end of the day what she thought about Margaret Thatcher, she gave her 
um, the Order of Merit, which is in her gift. She made her Lady of the Garter, which is in her gift. She went to her 80th birthday party and she went to her funeral in St. Paul's Cathedral. I think she was very um, admiring of Margaret Thatcher. Um, and um, I mean, I think members of the Queen probably gets on better with men than women. I think that's that's probably the case. But she will be very, very supportive to Liz Truss and help her in whatever way she can, as she did with Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, probably one 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 part of Thatcher's legacy that she probably does want to emulate. It's been really fascinating to speak to you. Really appreciate your 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 reflective insight uh, today. That was Hugo Vickers there, royal biographer and author. So Anthony Selton, uh, political historian and author of The Impossible Office, The History of the British Prime Minister. And uh, Kate Fall, Baroness Fall. Uh, de former Deputy Chief of Staff to David Cameron in number 10 and author of, as Anthony was saying, Gamekeeper. Anyway, they've all got books. They're all, they're all brilliant. Uh, definitely go and read their books. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?